My name is Will Vakurvich. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, kicking off, not kicking off, we were here last week, but at the beginning of the new year, we're starting a new series. We heard how much God has blessed our community through you guys uh, during Advent and at the end of last year. And so this is a really, really exciting time for us. We'll be beginning our series in Acts today. And it'll be a little bit different. So um, I, I'm just going to be preaching from Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And, and we'll touch on that verse briefly. And then we'll be looking at an overview of the book of Luke. So we really want to be able to provide some context for you guys. Okay? We don't want to just kind of jump in blind, assume people know what's going on. We want to we help to, to orient um, us as a community towards this new series. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. If you don't have a Bible, then one of the ushers uh, in the back will bring a Bible to you. Just simply raise your hand and they'll get one to you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, then this is our gift to you. Um, feel free to take it home. It's a great opportunity to join us in the True Story Project. Like Jim had mentioned, as a whole, we're reading through the whole Bible as a whole church over the course of a whole year. Um, but like I said, we'll start in Acts chapter 1 and then we'll be spending the bulk of our time together in Luke. And we realize that context matters. Right? We need to, to be oriented to what's going on. Um, I, I, this lesson was really driven home over, over this Christmas break. See, I, I've come to understand my role as a dad and my wife's role as a mom. Her role is to make sure that our kids stay alive. My role is to push the envelope. So when my oldest got his first tricycle and he was figuring out how to pedal, I'm like, dude, go down the hill. What's the worst that could happen? But I realized like as long as the wound is like curable with a Band-Aid, I'm good. But I like to push the, the envelope, and my wife is, is brilliant and, and wise, and she has great discernment, so she tells me when to rein it in. And, and so one of the things that, that we've done, that I've done, is uh, I showed my kids the Star Wars movie. And, and she had some concern. There's fighting, there's like lightsabers and laser blasters and all these things, and I'm like, ah, what's the worst that can happen? Well, somebody found out that the boys like Star Wars, so they were given lightsabers, and there's a lot of worst that can happen as kids are hitting each other in the face with lightsabers, but we took, we took, uh, we took them to go see Rogue One. I'm not going to give spoilers, um, other than to say it was a great movie. Uh, on the way home, uh, we, were, we, were, we were driving and asking the boys, what did you think? And my oldest, Will, said, I love that movie. I don't know what was going on. So I'm like, well, what did you love? And he, oh, you know, the explosions and there's droids and laser, you know, all the boy stuff, right? He loves it. But he had no idea what's going on. So we're like, well, you realize they were doing this so that this could happen? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. There was the force. <laughs> and so we laughed about it. And then I realized that's how a lot of us approach the Bible. Like, we love it. It's, there's some exciting parts. There's some good things that we like to look at. But really, we don't really know what's going on. We're not really sure what's taking place here. So what we're going to do today is try to set that context of this is what's going on. The Star Wars movies are great. You can watch any of them, and, like, it's entertaining. Like, you'll get some value from it. And I think as we engage Scripture, you can read Scripture, and, and there is benefit, there is value from it. God promises that his word does not go out with a comp without accomplishing its set purpose. But we want to try to give a lens through which to understand this book, this book of Acts, where we'll be spending the bulk of 2017. 
So it may feel a little more teachy than a typical sermon, but there's a purpose behind it. We want to help orient our understanding so that we, we get the context of where we're going over almost the whole year. So before we dive in, let's pray together. God, thank you for being good, for loving us, for giving us your word, for pouring out your spirit to illuminate our understanding. Thank you for the ways that your spirit has empowered the church throughout the ages so that we're here today at the ends of the earth talking about how good your good news is, how good your gospel is. Pray that you would give us understanding, that you would illuminate our minds as you did in those days to understand the scriptures, to live them out. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to love each other more and help us to love your good world more. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we'll start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, Luke is is the author of the book of Luke, and this book, Acts. Luke was a physician. Um, He was a Roman. He was very well educated. Uh, He writes with the, the best grammar of any author of the New Testament. And we get this glimpse, this little prologue um, at the beginning of the book of Acts, and we learn that he's writing this book to someone named Theophilus. He's writing this book, this book of Acts, to explain all that Jesus began to do and teach. There's implications there. So in the the Gospel of Luke, which records Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, this is just the beginning. The implication is in this book of Acts, which talks about the early church, this is what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. Even though early on in this book we see Jesus, um, after he's resurrected from the dead, he ascends to heaven, he's continuing his mission through his church, through regular people like you and me, struggle to wake up on a Sunday morning, so they have to drink coffee, and then they have coffee breath, they do mundane things, they have to do laundry, they're regular people. We watch Luke Skywalker, or Yoda, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, and we see them as these heroes, but there's something different about this story. They are heroic, they do great things, they're human, they fail, they struggle. They kind of fumble around trying to figure out how to live out what Jesus began to do and to teach. That's what we'll look at today. What did Jesus begin to do and teach? In the beginning of the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, he gives us a glimpse. And this was a a typical uh, writing style in in, uh, Rome. Um, What would happen is if somebody was going to write a multi-volume work, then the prologue of the initial book would kind of describe where they were going for the whole series. And so this is what Luke says in the beginning of Luke chapter 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, another word that that's translated as is fulfilled, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is saying that things have been fulfilled. He's writing in the midst of a very special time where all of history has looked forward to this moment where these things have been fulfilled. We see this name Theophilus again. Because of the title here, Most Excellent, we realize that he is a man of some position, of some fame, of, of power. He has a title. And Luke is writing this account to him so that he would have certainty of the things that have been taught. It's an orderly account. It says that Luke has spoken with eyewitnesses of these things from the very beginning. We have special insight from people who were there. And so, year after year, during Advent series, we come to the book of Luke. We can hear insights from Mary's perspective. We hear things from the perspective of the shepherds who were in the field. We get these glimpses. The other thing to realize about Luke is Luke is not Jewish. Luke is a a Roman citizen. He's well-educated, but he doesn't know all of the Jewish traditions. So as he hears about what Jesus has done, as he starts to become a part of this early Christian community that started in the heart of this Jewish religion, he has to learn things. He has a unique perspective of an outsider. Pays attention to this. Talks about special care that Jesus took when interacting with women who were not valued in that society. He notices things as a doctor uh, about the physical healing of people. He has an eye for this, this eye of somebody who's not in the in crowd. He explains it throughout his book. But he starts with what has been accomplished. What's been accomplished or fulfilled implies that things have been foretold, that this has been promised. And so as Luke was around this early church, he heard the story. He heard the story that we've been reading through in this True Story project, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That he created everything good and as it should be. He would have known this part of the story where everything took a, a tragic turn, where sin entered into the world and distorted everything. He would understand about the brokenness, about this longing of this is not the way things ought to be. He understood sin. He would have understood the story where even in the midst of sin, God is continually pursuing his people, making a way for them, making a promise with one man whose name was Abraham, that God would bless Abraham's family so that all nations would be blessed. There was a purpose. God was revealing himself to humanity, through humanity, it was for the purpose of the other. That God raised his people out of slavery in Egypt so that he could create a unique people, bless them with land and inheritance, prosperity, and a law to form them, to to mold them more rightly into his image, this image of a God who pursues, who loves who sacrifices, laws were written so that the most vulnerable in the society would be cared for, would be included, welcomed, provided for. This is the fabric of his chosen people. This is their very DNA that they would model what God was like, this pursuing God, this loving God, this protecting God, this God who has an eye for the vulnerable, who has a heart for restoration, 
to take all of these things that give us this sense of that's not the way it should be and transform it into the way things ought to be. He gave his people this call, and sometimes they did a great job, but most of the time, not so much. And when they failed to live for the other, to care for the vulnerable, to worship God only, he sent prophets with strong warnings to remind them, just as when you were in slavery, when you were in Egypt, God delivered you. God made you his own. You land and inheritance, he made you a people because he loves you. That's how you're called to interact. And sometimes they would, they would repent and they would turn and follow God, but usually not so much. So there was warning after warning after warning. Turn and obey. Repent. Come back to this loving Father who wants to bless you abundantly so that all nations, all people groups, all classes of citizens would be blessed. We get to the part in the story where the exile happens. God's people continue to decide not to obey him, continue to hoard and accumulate wealth for themselves, to neglect God's commandments, to fail in their worship of him, and they get distracted and worship other things, and God sends reminder after reminder, promise after promise, prophet after prophet, and they continue to walk away from him, and so the natural consequences play themselves out. God says, you are to be blessed so that all nations would be blessed. They're not caring about all nations, and so God raises up the Babylonians who utterly destroy his people. The best and brightest they take into captivity into the heart of Babylon, and God tells them, you're here for other people. I literally had to drag you kicking and screaming to the heart of Babylon to other people. Now seek their welfare. Seek their shalom, their blessing, their sense of the way things ought to be because in their welfare you will find your own. This is the same message that God gave to Abraham, the same message that was delivered through the law, the same message that the prophets reminded them of. I will bless you so that all nations will be blessed and will know how great and good and loving and generous and kind the Lord is. So God eventually returns them back into Israel Stored back to the land, but things are not the way they ought to be. They remember that throughout, throughout this time, there's been a promise. That now in the midst of, of sin, of brokenness, of this tension, there's still a promise of hope. That one day things would be restored. That a Messiah, an anointed one would come. A deliverer, a suffering servant, a king would come and restore all things to the way they ought to be. And if you're following along with us in the True Story Project, we're in the book of Isaiah right now towards the end, and there are some great images of this, that the lion will lay down with the lamb, the lamb will be saved, that things will be restored, that there will be a coming king who will lead, he'll be like a little child, like totally in the face of every leadership development book, right? Like, let a little child lead. Normally we go for the most successful and mature and wise. But God will restore things. There's a promised one. And so the people are waiting. They're waiting. They're hoping. They're trying to discern culture and these signs, and they see different world leaders arise to places of power and, and, and oppress them, and they think, okay, now. Now must be the time where this king will come and he'll deliver us and 
doesn't happen. Generation after generation after generation, they're waiting. They're waiting for the deliverance. They're waiting for God to restore the kingdom to the way that it was, to to make Israel great again with financial wealth and security and military might, and they'll destroy all their nations. They're waiting for this hope. They're waiting for this promise. And they're just waiting. And then a guy comes. And the people have been waiting for so long. They think maybe, maybe this is the one. And his name was John the Baptist, and, and he wore uh, uh, clothes of camel's hair, which is weird, and he ate locusts and honey, which is really weird, and he lived on the outskirts of town. His father was the chief, one of the chief priests. One of the, he worked in the temple, but he didn't follow in his father's profession. He wasn't inside the temple, inside the religious structure. He was out in the wilderness, on the outskirts. People who didn't really fit in, they hung out. And he preached this message of repentance. Stop what you're doing. Turn towards God. Because the kingdom is coming. Get ready. Get ready because it's coming. And the people had questions. Is this the guy? He's the one. It seems he's speaking with authority. What's going on? And so we'll pick up our story in the book of Luke in in chapter 3. In verse 15, Luke 3, 15. This is what's going on. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That sounds scary. Like water, that's cool. It gets hot in the summer. We go swimming, baptized with fire. What is this guy talking about? The Holy Spirit. People would have remembered these passages from the prophets where God said, you, you have the law. It's not working. And so one day I'm going to have to write my law on your hearts. Spirit will come and do this. So there's this hope, there's this anticipation, things are building that something is coming, more accurately, someone is coming. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus starts his ministry in his hometown. Among people that would have done the math, you know the math about Mary, how when she got married, it wasn't nine months after that day when Jesus came around, and you know what that means. I mean, the son of Joseph, this carpenter, this regular guy, he walks into church on Sunday and and he says this in chapter 4, starting in verse 16, he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now We read this on this side of history and think, ah, What a magical moment. How amazing. 
Jesus is starting his ministry. These people get to hear it. This is awesome. But, but think about this. Think about that person from your hometown. The one that, like, you're friends with on Facebook, but just because, like, you don't really, you're not really friends with them. Like, the most mediocre person you know. Right? <laughs> Everyone has that person. And they come up here on the stage with the microphone, and they're like, hey, guess what? All of your wildest dreams are fulfilled in me. Yeah, right. Nobody would buy that. But this is what Jesus says. He makes some bold statements. He says, look, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's big. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This word poor does address financial lack, but it's also relational poverty, spiritual poverty, people on the outcast, the marginalized, the most vulnerable among them. This is who the poor would have, uh, would have described. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's the thing about Jesus. He tells the truth, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just post the call to action social justice article on Facebook and then sleep in on Saturday when the work needs to be done. Jesus goes out and does it. He embodies these things. He declares truth to those around him. This is what's going to happen. The Lord's Spirit has anointed me to do these things. Now watch. And Jesus goes around, and he preaches truth, and he heals. Jesus understands the physical brokenness that we all experience, whether it's a young girl through cancer, whether it's somebody who's been born blind, whether it's the, the paralytic who Jesus uh, gave mobility to, all of these things, he goes around and he heals. He makes physical things restored in the way they ought to be, in the way God intended when he created all things good before sin came in and, and twisted everything. And so we see Jesus going from place to place. And there's somebody who was blind, and Jesus says, what would you like? And the blind man says, I would like to see. And Jesus does that. And the people around him have to ask themselves, what does this mean? The, the paralytic, right, who can't move, he's on a mat, and his friends have heard about Jesus, and so they make the hole in the roof, and they lower him down, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they think, no, only Jesus, don't say, don't say that. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus says, so that you will believe that I have the power to forgive sins, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does. And it creates this question in the crowds, what do we do with Jesus? We know his dad. We know his mom. Jesus. But he's doing these things. He's not only talking about them, he's doing them. We see the kingdom ushered in. We see the lepers who, by law, could not participate in community. They had to be outside of the cities, outside of community. They had to announce that they were unclean to anyone who came close. I did this because some of them had a bell to do that. And Jesus walks up to where they are and embraces them. Jesus doesn't worry about being contaminated by the brokenness of the world because the Lord's anointing is on him. The spirit is upon him to proclaim good news. And so as he goes out, this holiness, this kingdom is being ushered in. There's physical restoration. People are healed. There's spiritual restoration. Sins are forgiven. Demons are cast out. And we see 
we see this tension of reconciliation happening where Jesus doesn't only heal men who had value in their society, but he heals women who had less value in their society. He doesn't only heal Jewish people, but he heals the Roman centurion's servant, the oppressor's servant. The people who have oppressed Israel, Jesus heals them. We have to ask the question, what is going on here? What does this mean? Even John the Baptist asked this question. Even John who said, this is the guy whose sandals I can't even untie. I'm not worthy to untie. He had doubts. Flip with me over to to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 18. It says this. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, within that hour that they have come to Jesus, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he restored sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus gets a little sassy here. Kind of like, well, look at what's happening. What do you think this means? If someone were to fly into Phoenix, in the middle of July, they say, is, is this what summer's like? Well, it's 117. There's no shade anywhere. If you touch the sidewalk, you die. Yes, this is what summer is like. Jesus says, think about what's happening. Physical restoration. Spiritual restoration. People are being drawn back to God. What do you think is happening Jesus is undoing these effects of of sin. He's ushering in this this new kingdom. He's creating all things new again. And his disciples are following and and they're watching this. They're seeing it unfold before their very eyes and, and they're wondering, they're learning. Jesus doesn't take them through a four year theological education. He says, follow me, follow me. And I imagine conversations like this. Hey, remember when God told Abraham, like, you'll be blessed so that all nations would be blessed? I'm going to bless this Roman soldier. Remember the promises about recovery of sight to the blind? Hey, watch this. Recovery of sight to the blind. Remember these promises of the kingdom. What if it's not a kingdom like you expect? What if it's a kingdom that looks different? I've, I've learned in my marriage Sometimes people have different expectations. Sometimes the things that I expect to happen aren't necessarily what my wife expects to happen. And then we're given a great opportunity to work those things out. And I think that's what's going on. Jesus is demonstrating that you guys have expected one type of kingdom. But that's not the type of kingdom that he has in mind. 
kingdom is different. It's, it's radically different. And the disciples are kind of along for the ride to watch it unfold. And so Luke does this really, really interesting thing where kind of begins his story of Jesus in the, in the outskirts of Israel. And we see throughout the book, Jesus and his disciples are moving towards Jerusalem. We have to understand here is in Jewish mind, Israel, their nation was the heart of the known world, the very center. And at the heart of the nation was the city, Jerusalem, this holy city. And at the heart of Jerusalem was the temple, the very center of their religion. The temple was there, their, the, the central focus of their religious power, their communal life, their culture, their society, everything was wrapped up in this. And Jesus is making his way to the heart of Jerusalem, the temple. You may know this story, but when Jesus arrives at the temple, he flips tables upside down. He says, you've turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. People have come from all around to worship God, and, and you sell them sacrifice, sacrificial animals at exorbitant costs. You've exploited the poor. These nations that you are called to bless, you've taken advantage of. And Jesus turns the whole place on its head. Later that week is when we see the death of Jesus. And so the whole movement through the book of Luke is towards Jerusalem. And Jesus, or Luke, ends his story in the book of Luke with Jesus being died and, and being resurrected right outside of Jerusalem, right there in the heart of the nation. And he says this to his disciples after he's died, they've lost all hope, and then he's raised from the dead, and they're trying to make sense of this, this, this promised one, this Messiah, the one who was supposed to make everything right. He was killed, and now these women are saying he's not dead, but we saw that he was dead. I mean, women couldn't even testify in a court of law. That's who Jesus appeared to. L Luke, this outsider, records this for us so that you pay special attention. Those are the first people that see Jesus women who society deemed untrustworthy. They can't testify. And so the disciples are left trying to figure out what is going on. What is going on? They just saw their leader killed, murdered. And so they've locked themselves in this upper room. They're scared. They're fearful. They think they're going to die. They don't know what's going to happen. And, and Jesus appears. He, he eats some food, and then he says this to them in, in Luke 24, in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Remember, that's where Luke started. Everything has been accomplished in our time, recently. And Jesus is saying everything that was written about me had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This promise that John the Baptist makes, that the prophets made before him, that there will be this coming of the Spirit, this coming of power. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. Until this power comes, the Spirit empowers the church, and then 
then this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors will be his witnesses to all nations. This fulfillment of, of what God promised Abraham. This call that God's people have had since they were formed as a nation. Random group of bumbling, bumbling, stumbling disciples will carry out. And we see this. So in Luke, there's a movement to Jerusalem. And that was kind of the model of the Old Testament, right? God would bless his people so that all nations would be blessed by them, that they would be drawn towards Israel, towards his people to receive God's blessing. But now, now things have changed. Now God's people are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who left his kingdom to enter into the earth. Now Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until my spirit comes upon you and now you'll go out. And so this is what we'll see throughout the book of Acts. They start in Jerusalem. and They move towards Samaria. They move towards these other nations and move to the ends of the earth. They follow in the footsteps of Jesus. They bring healing. They bring restoration. They're an inclusive community that causes some division and some tension because when different kinds of people get together, that's what happens and they work through it in such a way that the community around them has to ask questions. Just like the early community around Jesus had to ask questions, what is going on here? These people love in ways that we haven't seen before. These people sacrifice, these people give, these people care in ways that are not common. So we see this movement throughout the book of Acts. And here's the thing. I take my boys to see Star Wars and they love it and they go home and they play with their fake lightsabers and they all try to, they both try to use force powers, but nothing happens because it's a story. It's a really good story. No power. We see something different here. The Bible doesn't just claim to be a story. It claims to be the story. It claims to tell us how the world began and how the world will end. It tells us the point of all of this. It lets us know why there is hurt and pain and brokenness, why we have this sense of things are not the way they should be, and it tells us what to do about that. That there is a new king, King Jesus, who lived a life that none of us could live, died death on our behalf, and he was raised so that this spirit, this power, could come and be poured out, that the, the law, the way we ought to do things would be written on our hearts. And from our perspective, we like to judge whether things are true using science. Can we weigh it? Can we measure it? Can we prove it in a laboratory? But we know not everything can be explained that way. In Jewish mind and in Eastern thought, there's a different way to evaluate things. Are they powerful? Do they have the potential to change someone's life? We see this uneducated group of fishermen go from hiding in an upper room behind a locked door, fearful of their lives, to walking the streets, proclaiming good news about Jesus, being imprisoned, being stoned to death, told that they could, cannot mention his name anymore, and they say, it doesn't matter because there's power. There's something different here. There's something different in their witness. They don't have to convince anyone. 
They're not there to argue anyone into the kingdom. All they have to do is say, this is what we've seen. And says, I was blind, but now I see. The, the crippled beggar couldn't move, and now he can move. There's a change. Peter changes. The disciples change. We see this change implement in the change as demonstrated in their generosity and their sacrificial love and the way they unashamedly proclaim the name of Jesus. It has implications. It challenges Rome. It challenges the cultural norms of how society says things ought to be done. Women are treated with respect. People who are different are invited in. The poor are cared for. The blind receive sight. And so in the early days, when Jewish leaders would try to challenge these young Christians and say, when the Messiah comes, everything is supposed to be made right again, and we still see hurt and pain and brokenness in the world, the early church leaders just said, look at our community. Look at the way we love. And the argument dried up because they live radical lives. And guys, we're not talking about Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're talking about regular people like you and me who have received the Spirit, who understand their call to be witnesses. The reality is we don't get to choose if we are going to be witnesses. We are witnesses. The question is, what type of witness will you be? Will we be witnesses who walk in these footsteps of Jesus towards pain, towards suffering, towards the marginalized? Or witnesses who, yeah, kind of do that when it's convenient and we don't really have to get up early on a Saturday or it doesn't cost too much and I get to eat a steak after. No offense to steaks, they're delicious. But what types of witnesses will we be? In what ways will we press into the brokenness? Thankfully, we have this book, this book of Acts, that gives us a great example of the early church. Over almost the entire year of 2017, we get to be saturated with the good news of these people who laid the foundation, laid this foundation of what it looks like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, who boldly told people about how good God is. And thankfully, those people told some other people, and they told other people, and here we are, literally in the mind of Jewish people to the ends of the earth, the opposite side of the world in Tempe, Arizona, in 2017, still humbled and thankful for this power that the Spirit brings, the power to transform lives, the power to give hope in the midst of hopelessness, the power to love and forgive in ways that are unimaginable, the power to be a witness, to be a witness in our homes, in our jobs, and in our communities. You guys pray with me that we would be faithful witnesses God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church throughout history. That though they have not always got it right, you've used regular people. Your spirit has empowered your church to love, to serve, to give, to proclaim the goodness of your kingdom. We thank you for the people that told us about how good you are. We thank you for the people that you bring into our lives to tell about how good you are. We thank you for the opportunities to demonstrate how good you are. God, I thank you for this community, for the ways that you um, use them to serve. We thank you for uh, the ways that you've used them to give, and we thank you for the encouragement and challenge that is to continue in those footsteps of Jesus. God, we pray that you would continue to give us creativity, give us courage, give us boldness, as 
we bear witness to how good you are, how loving you are, how sweet your kingdom is. Help us to love you more. Help us to love each other more. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.